0: Welcome to The Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, President of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello, global marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Global Marketing Show. Today, I'm just, I'm smiling, I'm laughing because that's what we're going to do on this episode. So I'm really looking forward to introducing you to the guests. But before we do, remember that the podcast is sponsored by Rapport International, who always provides us with a tidbit for the start of our show. And today's tidbit, is about rain because it's spring here in the Northeast of the United States. And in English, if it's raining, we say it's raining cats and dogs to describe a hard rainfall. In Czech, they say that it's raining wheelbarrows. And in Dutch, they say it's raining shoemakers apprentices. So Inga Carr is here. Her native language is Dutch. And I got to confirm my source here is that what you say if it's raining hard well I I keep on learning myself I guess
1: you keep what I keep learning even in my own language I guess because I had not really heard that one before but I love it I'm gonna I'm gonna use it so
0: if you were in the Netherlands yeah. And it was raining really hard. And you wanted to say that in a fun way. How would you say it?
1: Yeah, I, this is, gosh, you stumped me there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is not really, I haven't really used that in in a fun way, more in a, darn, it's raining hard again. But then again, it's, it's so normal in Holland that it rains so much that
0: So have you ever heard, so you've never heard of reigning shoemakers apprentices? No, I haven't. (laughs) That is why I picked this tidbit out for this episode, (laughs) because it's funny how sometimes we'll learn things from one person or AI, be really careful about using that because you come across things that are made up. So, but anyway, let me introduce you, Inga. So Inga Carr, she's got a fantastic background in international roots. She's worked in Europe, obviously in the Dutch language. And then she moved over to the US and Canada back and forth a couple of times. So she's got lots of experience working across country. And she speaks five languages. What five languages do you speak, Inga? English,
1: Dutch, French, German, little bit of Spanish. I ventured out in other languages, but it's so poor that yeah, <laughs> I won't go there. But I
0: love languages. I love it. I Yeah, do. and so that gives you a real advantage for doing international marketing because you you instinctively get the importance of language. All right, so she's got a tremendous background. She started in sales, she's been a software developer, and then her love, I'm guessing, is uh, she's become an expert in revenue driven marketing. She's worked with multi billion dollar enterprises, and she's worked with venture field startups that want to have a global reach from the start. So it's very exciting for what she's going to talk about today in her experiences. It's both, it can be applied to both startup and enterprise. She's now a fractional or interim CEO, and she owns Altair Strategic Marketing. So we'll give you contact information on the end. So Inga, welcome. I am so happy to have you here. So give me a good story about global marketing or working in in one of these countries. Oh, where it's almost like where to start. But I think let's start where
1: how how important, like what is important to your international growth? Like kind of what is the key to success? And it gives an insight why I am excited to be part of this show and talk with you, Wendy, because from where I stand in my experience, it is definitely, it is language. And what do I see as language? Language is not only your words, absolutely, But it's also your visual and behavioral. And all that is packaged up in your brand. And to determine how you express your brand on an international level, of course, it depends on your operating structure. So your decisions in your international operating structure, but also on your resources and who you are. So if you like, I can go and dive a little bit deeper into that on how, why the language is so important because language is intimately connected into the behavioural. And of course, yeah, we don't I think wanna... you don't want to
0: just made a really good point that I want to pull out is so many think of people, so many people think that the brand is just something that marketing comes up with and the name of the company and the logo, but you just brought up that it's operations, it's resourcing decisions, it's the culture, it's the who we are, like your brand really resonates throughout. And then it gets yeah. to be a real challenge if you work in multiple countries, because we have different ideas and feelings and language, right?
1: Exactly. And I think that, that's where you really hit a, the, the core of it is because in all these different countries, you have different societies, different languages, and everybody has different experiences. And all those experiences, they create emotional triggers, that result ultimately in their needs and in their wants. So if we focus on, we want to gain trust, because that is the ultimate where decisions are being made, we need to be understanding of what those emotional triggers are. Because 90% of our decision-making is actually done on the unconscious level. It's, it's, we make decisions 90% based in, in an unconscious, in our unconscious awareness. And only 10% is the actual, the how, the where, the why, that type of decision-making that's really in front of our mind. So it's a very
0: unconscious level. Is that both for business to consumer and business to business?
1: Absolutely, because and I think it's a great question, and I'm really glad that you're 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 touching on that, because a lot of people they go, oh well, you know, that's for the consumer, that is not for B2B. That doesn't hold water because it's based on the actual functioning of the brain. And it's the functioning of the brain. That's what we call in neuromarketing, basically. That's where you're going to start touching that level of, of focus, is where we really look at how do people make decisions and how does the, fun- the the brain function in accordance. And that's why at the end of the day, you're still marketing to people. doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C. At the end of the day, they're still people. Now, you may, in your conscious awareness, you may decide, oh, you know what? These points are important for my decision-making, and these are the things that I need. At the same token, that so that is kind of the frontal process. At the same token, in the unconscious level, this is where you start gaining that trust and that first emotional trigger of, I want to spend a little bit more time here. I want to find out more. I don't want to click out of the website yet. I want to stay here because there's all these triggers that making unconscious sense to me. And that's why that's driving me to stay on this piece of website brochure, email, whatever it is.
0: Okay. You know, so talking about the brain, I'm going to jump talk topics I've heard that Olympic athletes, you know, they don't win on skill at that level. They're really winning on the brain. Now, I remember talking to you that you worked on the Olympics in Canada. Can you talk? I mean, I'm fascinated by that. And I'd love to hear your experience of how the Olympics, like what you did there. And I think it was in multilingual marketing.
1: Yes, 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 that's right. It's, I mean, think about you know, during the Olympics, you know, you are now marketing an entire country as varied and complex as Canada to the entire world. So yeah. <laughs> think about how the diversity of your product, Canada, and the diversity of all the cultures and all the languages that you need to hit simultaneously on a, on a global basis. So how do you fit your culture, your languages, and then the distribution of assets across the globe to all these different people. And that is not only uh, from, oh, to the consumer, it's also, you know, to, to tour operators. It's also to your own internal network of your own organization of people in country. So you're hitting many different segments. You're hitting B2B, B2C, and your internal. So, we actually had a structure that set us up for, for success. And the success was really at the end of the day that they won the world leading marketing agency awards that year. So, uh, that's we did great. Something right. They won the award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did yeah. something right. So, how did we go about that? So I was part of the Brand Experiences Unit, and we came up with a way to what we called our brand experiences, right? And how to content. So to give you a little bit intro into that, the brand experience, different facets that went into that, into our consideration before we determined what the experience would be and how we would market it. So, of course, there are some structural things that we'll just go over very quickly. It's kind of the role in Canada in the brand development, the unique selling points, of course, the criteria for brand aligned travel experiences. And then okay, what, so what call-
0: are the unique selling points and do they go across all cultures and languages for coming or did you divide those out by who'd be more interested in what?
1: it went both actually so it depended on on the culture so where so in which country some experiences were promoted in in multiple countries but they may be translated in different ways and i can give you some examples of that dig it dig into that that right there i I want to finish up that that because i think it's worthwhile for your for the for the for your listeners okay <laughs> but what what it all entails because then it gives them the, the package so we we talked okay. about the role of canon in a brand development the unique selling points the aligned experiences the eq experience quotient tagging this is where we're getting into what you're asking about then we inventoried those into what we call the travel experiences inventory. And then of course, we worked on the assets and 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 the the toolkit. So if you, but I'm hearing, you want to skip over some of this stuff and go straight into the experiences. So let me give you some examples.
0: I no 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 I jumped you ahead so no it's it, kind it, all right. <laughs> but I let but, you get down into the details of what people found and where they made mistakes like if there were ones that you thought was a unique selling proposition for one country but then you found that just bombed or you know how you translated it and why so that you know but go ahead and say how you did it because obviously it was successful you won the award
1: yeah and and really it came down to really doing your homework right it's like you have to do your homework so if you look at your you know what experiences were brand aligned so we used three different tools we used the, our unique selling points our brand aligned criteria and then basically the product market matching and that's kind of what at the ultimate what we're talking about And for that market matching, we actually worked with a a research company that was, their name was Environics Research Social Values Model, and they had an EQ model that was called Explorer Quotient, and that allowed us to effectively develop an EQ profile based on the the reasons why people travel. So it wasn't solely based on age, gender, oh. education, but also included the qualities of someone's personality. And so, if you then dig into that, for example, let's let's dig dig into it. I know you want to dig into it. One of the things, of course, is the Northern Lights. Right? Everybody knows you go to Canada, and one of the exciting things is to experience the Northern Lights. Well, when we would when we would promote that within the UK and in Germany we would basically say at the most grandiose light show of the world only standing room is available anymore and that that is kind of the back translation from english to to germany yeah in english in the uk we would just say standing room only at the world's greatest light show so you see how those back translations you get this nuance. Now, if you would do it to Mexico, the US or France, it would be a little bit more aligned with the English. but say in French, you would almost say if I were tr- translate it back, it's uh, there is an incredible show, light show. And training of the dogs <laughs> makes what? no sense in English, but in French it did. Uh, a plus incroyable son et lumière et traîneau au chien. So this had all to do with the Northern Lights show. So it's but, it's interesting.
0: The intention so, of the French translation. What does the training of the dogs have to do? Like what does that mean? Well,
1: I think in this case, because to part of the experience to get to the Northern Lights or one of a side experience you could have that we connected with it was actually doing dog sledding. So, right, it kind of inter interconnected. Now, there is, for example, a whole different one that we only used wait 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 wait! wait.
0: i'm not getting it so to talk about the northern lights they wrapped in like dog sledding Mm -hmm. did you have to go dog sledding to no no no. it's
1: just remember this is just the a caption of a campaign to to get people's attention so you have an image of a caption of the campaign and then you dive into whatever the article is
0: so I am dying for you to send me the exact French phrase and we'll add it to the show notes because I think that is just fascinating because <laughs> the direct English translation doesn't make sense. So there was a meaning that means something to people from France.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. That's what we're talking about, right? Like yeah. For example, to give you a more obvious, an obvious experience, which was glamping right? It's oh, kind yeah. of the luxury camping. Uh-huh. Well, the only country where we promoted that was in the US, nowhere else in, in the world. So it it gives you another insight into how we differentiated things because we felt in Germany or France or anywhere else in the world, people were not as interested in that. That is but, so
0: interesting because I remember... A company that made inexpensive containers that you, they were so cheap, you could throw them away, but they were well enough built that you could wash them and reuse them. And they didn't do well at first in Europe because people are like, well, are these reusable or disposable? They wanted clarity. And this makes me think of that glamping. Do I want glamor or do I want camping? You can't do glamping. So yes, how funny.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and cool. another fun one I can do is I can give you is like sailing in Nova Scotia, for example, where we said, OK, had lobster and scallops for lunch and an incredible view for dessert, And we did that for the UK, Germany and, and France. That's kind of the header and, you know, more or less translated like that. Yes. But for in the US, what we said Lounging on a yacht by day, five-star dining by night—very right. different. But that's kind of what came out of the research: is that's what was appealing to the U.S. market, and not so much to, say, England, Germany, and and France. So that's why there it had more—you know—in Europe had more lobster and scallops for lunch, look, food-based, and an incredible view for dessert. So.
0: That's fantastic. You're not going to tell an American they can't have their dessert, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that that's, that slightly nuanced, but again, it's so important. And that's kind of, you know, your, your, where your role, where your organization comes in so strongly, where you sometimes a direct translation is not the best way to go. It's It's, yes, your product is the same. So in this case, you're sailing in Nova Scotia. That is still the same. But, and your image may be very similar, although we also made image differences, but I'm not going to go there because it gets way too complicated. But how you translate the experience, the emotional trigger, what was important in, in the language that made people want to read more about it or want to actually Go and do it what made them take action basically and that is the key to success it's in your translation and if you have a great organization a translator that works with you they can make you aware sometimes of these things like hey you know this is a great approach at lobster and scallops for lunch and an incredible view for dessert that really works well for for England like for Europe but you know in the U.S we need to tighten that up a little bit. We need to give it a different slant and talk about lounging on a yacht by day and five-star dining by night. Like we need to be, you know, a little bit more, just a different angle. Right. And that's where you get those nuggets.
0: Yeah. That's the, yes. That is so, so true because I know that there's been times that the translators will come back at Report international and they'll say, well, this, just doesn't make sense, it's not gonna work because family's not included or there's too much family or it's too indirect when you need to speak direct. So all that cultural adaptation is so important that a good translator can do. Yes. So was there anything, I mean, it sounds like you did incredible and you won an award, so it doesn't look like there were any missteps or any, you know, funny little things that happened, but I got to ask just in case, like along that way, was there anything to share there as a learning nugget for us?
1: Yeah. The, and and first of all, it wasn't, I won the award, right? It was the organization, right? It's a whole, this is a big thing. And but we kind of found sometimes that although we we tried it but then we, we would go out on social media or anywhere else we would find that it may not be as 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 successful as we thought it would be and then we would tweak it we would tweak it on the fly and say okay you know what you do your a b testing right this image against that image that slightly different angle does that make a difference and and we would do that. We 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 definitely would do that. But you know, this is obviously a, a large organization that at that time had a lot of money coming in to really do a great job and really dig into and, and had the resources to make it a success. So you know, we, we started from the roots very strong with a very solid structure you know great research that was conducted and then rolled it out and kept doing our testing and then it became more tweaking but I know you don't always have those opportunities right you you don't you don't you can't always do that sometimes you just don't have the resources and for example, I was working, you know, I was heading the brand department of a travel insurance segment of the cooperators. And the organization as a whole, we had over 20 different brands or marks in the portfolio that was going to different market segments, again, B2B, D2C, agencies, distributors. And we had to provide marketing to support for all of them and all needed the, you know, English, French. Specifically translation. And although it was a you know multi-billion dollar organization, still the amount of resources that it required managing those brands, I have to say, was a little bit of a a little bit of a mess. (laughs) There were inconsistencies, and therefore we had brand recognition loss. So we actually went through an entire brand system exercise
0: of how
1: we, you know, how we should, you know, kind of what structure should we really have? And that really at the end of the day, and I can, you know, go over some of the, the brand names and symbols and, you know, all of that stuff. But you can imagine we had over 20 different brands,
0: mm-hmm.
1: limited amount of resource. So we felt we needed to organize it and still have the, flexibility. We really needed the organization because with the different ways of translation and trying to keep track and up to date and all the different brands, right? Because if you have a brand name in English, it was a different brand name and logo in French. And if you have 20 of those, I mean, imagine.
0: (laughs) I see that. that as a huge problem with so many companies saying, well, we let our distributors handle that in country. And then if you have distributors in five different Spanish speaking countries, you got five different brand messages, organizations, service levels. And so you're not yeah. building that global brand, which can help you build greater recognition. So how exactly. did you how did you go about cleaning that up?
1: Yeah. So we went through a whole whole exercise that involved you know, representatives of all of all of the brands. And we all agreed. And, and that's kind of the the fundamental thing. Like we first sought to create agreement in what was what were the issues. And there was a solid agreement that, hey, the confusion is causing damage to our brand. We mm-hmm. all feel that a brand hierarchy system is required and that it should account for all of the companies. And we also acknowledge that kind of the staff sense of ownership of the current brand could create some resistance in, in adaptation. Right. We also agreed, though, that it had to work the The new approach had to work for all the languages that we were using, and I think that's key. So at the end of the day, you know, you 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 go through these different brand structure possibility, which is like a holding company or an asymmetrical company brand structure. We ultimately decided for the master brand brands because of its efficiency. You know, yes, we're a large organization, but at the same time. The amount of resources required to brand and to promote all these different products under different logos was was just not an efficient way to do it. So we chose the master brand. Basically, it was the simplest structure and you just have one, one logo. And English and, and in French, so basically two, and then all its its variations on that. But that was just from an efficiency viewpoint the
0: best. And then that's so what I am curious st- about in the meeting, you brought representatives of all the brands in. And then how were they doing their translation? Did they have agreements with different translators? Was there an internal department? How was that handled?
1: yeah, so there were because of these different, this was an organization that was built up out of several mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And so it, in the beginning, it definitely like every kind of segment or most segments still had their own system. So in the the area that where I was focusing on my department, I had my own, my own company, uh, external company, that was doing the translation, and that was becoming very familiar w- with our brand, and indeed would give those recommendations of, oh, you know what, you're doing this campaign, you know, when you do it to, in France, we need to tweak it, you know, this way or that way, and and they were they were very very valuable. They were very helpful and saved us a lot of time, and for some. Uh, other units, you know, but they still lived under maybe a smaller brand. It could have been done by the, you know, kind of under under the, the master brand's own company name. So that would kind of flow in together. But at the end of the day, everything merged together and everything is now operating as, as a unit. So, so over they can, time, so they those ride. resources came together
0: all the resources came together. Now, did you have anybody internally on that, on the exercise where you brought the representatives, of all the brands? Did you have somebody representing the translation and the multilingual communications in that?
1: No. So what we had, we had basically the representatives of each brand. So of each brand unit and, Mm -hmm. and, and each, you know, kind of organizational or operational structure within the organization that was you know maybe one was I don't know car and the other one was you know a farm insurance or house you know there were all these different segments basically that would come together so the internal that structure in the beginning what type of brand structure are we going to use was an internal process but for as I said, for the implementation, some of the translation or a lot of translation was done with external resources. Yeah. And then, okay. I so had the, rep- in- mm.
0: the representatives that were there representing the brand, they were thinking about the translation, what they had to do because sometimes what can happen is all those people get together. They think how we're going to do the branding. They come up with something, and they haven't thought about the other languages. So what they come up with doesn't work.
1: Yeah, because we were in markets in 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 kind of the, the French speaking <laughs> speaking area and and the English. In a way, the group itself was already used to you know having having to deal with two languages at the same time that that was already ingrained within the within the structure.
0: Okay. 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 That that makes a lot of sense. So people are already thinking that way because I've heard of organizations that don't think that way and that's where they run into problems. Yeah, yes. So this is fascinating. So we talked about the Olympics and then we talked about this large insurance company, even though they had a lot of smaller brands. How does how does a small company or, or s- handle going globally or you know languages from the start if they know how they ha- how they have to go?
1: Yeah I, I think it's a great question because in a way we go back to kind of in the very beginning what we were saying what is your you know international growth what's your key to success? it's, it's your language is your words right visual behavioral and at the end of the day it depends on your resources and who, who you are and so if we look at that you know we looked at it from a very large organization to you know the enterprise level so a little bit smaller like a few you know three and a half billion dollar organization but then if we turn that on its head and you go to a startup well, for example, you know startup may be doing in in construction because we talked a little bit about you know tourism and insurance. so let's talk a for a moment about construction, which is very different. It's definitely B2B and and it's it's really starting small, right? It's if you're a startup, you really want to go through an internal assessment. And creating a quadrant I think works really well where you measure your market attractiveness and your ability to win. And if you can be in that top right quadrant where your market attractiveness is high and your ability to win is high, then it's like, okay, you know, we can go outside of our current border constraint. And I think the easiest way is just to test it out. Like You don't need there an operational structure yet. You don't need to focus on that too much. It's more like, it's a product, why don't we do some test projects? But, and this is where it becomes absolutely key. Although as a startup, you don't have a lot of resources, but the assets that you have and you determine that you need go to a trans your professional translation organization such like yourself Wendy where you really can get the support of translating your value proposition so all your collateral to have that translated and relayed out professionally because certain languages they need more space to say the same thing so, Working with someone who has done that before and knows how to do that is is essential. So you've got to spend the money. You, You don't have the internal resources, but for that, that's really the smallest, the best investment you can make is working with an organization that knows how to translate your value proposition into different cultures and languages.
0: Where do you see AI going with translation?
1: (laughs) Well, that was actually my question for you, Wendy. (laughs) I was actually going to ask you because this is your forte in translation. You know, we all know right now AI is making a big splash in marketing, and there is A lot going on in in there and i think from my perspective right now ai is a is a great tool tool to help you to to maybe get that extra creative twist or angle when you're dried up in your own words and you want ai to rewrite something for example now, of course, in automation, it's, it's you know, strongly embedded already in there. And that's not really the topic of this conversation. So right now, it's still, I think, at the point, you really need to double check your data and how appropriate is it. But, you know, sometimes to write a, another creative piece, it can be very inspirational and helpful. But how, it's actually a question for you, Wendy, I would love you to answer that. How do it's working from a translation viewpoint where I AI is at today.
0: Oh, today. Yeah. It is not there today. I mean, I've been listening to podcasts with even the machine people and they're all saying it needs to be reviewed. You know, they're talking about getting to a 95 to a 90% accuracy rate, but, and it's going to be really hard. It'll never get to the hundred percent. And that. It's going to be really hard to even increase after that. But the problem is you make one wrong word. Like I heard about a application for refugee status from somebody that had experienced a lot of trauma and, you know, was a legitimate one. And it changed I to we, and all of a sudden they went, well, who's this? We, it's not, I reject you're out you know, and I saw another instance where somebody was writing in English and it said something that was part of interpreter ethics. This was actually an internal writer for us. She added something to the internal ethics. Our review person said, no, that's not really an internal ethic. Where did you get this chat GPT? And I validated it on some good resources on Google. And we went back and we looked at it. And because the idea had been planted in her head, She was predisposed to, to believe what she read someplace else, but it was giving wrong instructions to an interpreter. So, you know, we we are very careful with what we put out and how we research it and the quality that we provide at Rapport International. So it, it, you know, I like technology. I mean, that's just a crazy exciting thing. If I could go anywhere in the world and speak to anybody, but it's got me really worried. And so if you're using AI or chat GPT for your translation, get it over to somebody to professionally review it. And if it's confidential, you got a whole different problem because you've just put it out to the universe and you've le- lost all rights with that. So enterprises are struggling right now. So I think where it will go is that we'll develop personal histories for companies. Where it's similar to translation memory, where once we've translated it, it'll, you know, it comes out with so you don't have to redo it. But if we could build those individual memories for companies, and then they can use it, it'll get better and better. So I'm really afraid in the short term, just like the, the programmers who developed it, about how it's being used and the fake stuff that can be believed.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And also, I think that's a great point. And also, it can maybe translate with all the inaccuracies, as you as you mentioned. But then it also, if you look at that from a brand viewpoint, it's like we just spoke how important it is to really, you know, adjust your language to to a specific culture and and country and language. For them to get the drift and for them to get that emotional hook and you know ai isn't there yet to be able yeah. to do that right yeah so, and
0: they, they, they'll say it'll shake out a lot in the next six to nine months in the industry but in the meantime just be yeah. very wary of it and keep a careful eye on it so yeah well we are we are out of time this has gone so <laughs> fast because it's been very very interesting. You know this is coming at you. What's your favorite foreign word? Well,
1: I would not be Dutch if I would not take a Dutch word. but there is a Dutch word that was invented in in Holland that I the first time I heard about it, it I thought it was hilarious and it always stayed with me and it's so typical of the Dutch humor. And that is the the Dutch slang for an ATM machine. And we call that in Holland, it's a flopper topper. Flopper topper? Yep. And so flopper is a, a Dutch slang for dollar bills. And topper is the person tapping beer by pulling the tap handle. So hence... The ATM machine.
0: <laughs> Which yes, if you put ATM into a machine translation or a AI, you'd get, you know, you'd get ATM. But, uh-huh. but it might be much more appropriate to use a floppy topper. <laughs> Absolutely. I if word. I would be
1: if I would be, you know, working with a financial organization. That has to do with I don't know, currencies and things like that. And you want to attract the Dutch consumer in a fun way. Definitely, I wouldn't say, you know, the ATM machine. I would, you know, <laughs> to the consumer, I would do some a fun spin on the floppa
0: topper. <laughs> oh my gosh, we gotta get that into the United States. That's a really good word to adapt to adopt the floppa topper. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dutch are, are very inventive in their, in their words. And my, my husband who has French roots, he is US citizen, but his mother was French. So we have an international family. And so our conversations often in English are peppered with all kinds of new made up words. (laughs)
0: yes I went to Mexico in first and second grade and then I lived in Mexico and Taiwan and I and I find I create words when I'm trying to look for something that I'm trying to say so I can't even imagine with all the languages you're bringing in there it's got to be fun (laughs) send them over to me when you come up with them send them over oh (laughs) Oh, okay okay I will uh, yeah I always get it sometimes I'm not even aware I get
1: a reaction from my husband's and he goes what 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 is that well you know
0: this this oh you mean blah 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 and you go yeah that's it soon as you do that or he gives you one just jot it out in a text and send it over to me a text or email whatever <laughs> or
1: we'll we do we'll it. do you're
0: wrong <laughs> okay so there are people out there that might want marketing advice and you certainly have tremendous experience and you work as a you know a, a CMO for companies when they need it you also can consult with companies where can people meet you or reach out to you sorry
1: oh okay they can go directly to my email it's icar at altairmktg.com or they can go to my website altairmktg.com or give me a ring for in-person is always cool and 760-655-6451. So I'm always available for a little chat.
0: Okay, so email is icarr, that's I C A R R at Altair com. A-L-T-A-I-R-M-K-T-G, short for marketing.com, 760. 760- Six five five six four five one. So, thank you so much for talking with me today.
1: Wendy, I really, really enjoyed it. It's great to see how intricately translation is involved with branding and our marketing efforts and ultimately to the success of, of an organization going abroad. So it was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Yes, you too. And for those of you who are interested in global marketing, you can certainly search the language of global marketing to read more about the book that I wrote because a lot of these stories come up, mistakes, advice for how to do it well. So if you're starting out or even if you're enterprise and you you want to consolidate brands, either reach out to Inga or grab a copy of my book and go read the chapter about Rotary International because they went through the same thing and how they could coordinate a global message. So do that. It's the language of global marketing. And certainly like us, give us a five-star, subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.